Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. Joining me is Peter Ford. He is the former British ambassador to Syria, now the co-chair of the British Syrian Society. Peter, welcome to Pushback. Thank you, uh, Aaron. I feel uh, privileged to, to be on your show. It's a privilege to have you and a lot I want to ask you about. Let me start just with your overall sense of the state of Syria today. The bulk of the proxy war is over, but now there's a new front, these economic sanctions that are preventing Syria from rebuilding, and you still have uh, rebel control of a major province, Idlib, as well as a, a U.S. occupation in northeastern Syria. What is your overall sense of where Syria stands right now, nearly 10 years after the proxy war began? Um, well, the situation has basically stood still for a, a year. Um, there's been a, an effective stalemate since the Syrian government forces recovered uh, a slice of southern uh, Idlib uh, back in, uh, in March. At that point, the Turkish army intervened uh, massively and effectively brought hostilities to a halt. But the situation today is that the Syrian uh, government forces control about 70% of the country. There's that pocket of jihadi uh, uh, fighters uh, controlling Idlib province and a couple of uh, uh, patches of uh, neighbor neighboring provinces. And then you've got the big uh, what I call the wild east of Syria, the uh, the big uh, triangle of land up all the way along, a thousand miles along the Turkish uh, border and then down the Iraqi border. And that is effectively uh, a U.S. protectorate. Um, there are uh, U.S. Uh, forces there uh, being helped uh, on the ground by uh, basically Kurdish uh, militia, the so-called uh, uh, Syrian democratic uh, forces, um, and uh, by their mere presence, they're preventing the advance of the Syrian government forces. The result is that the Syrian people are denied the great uh, oil and uh, grain wealth of that uh, triangle of territory. And uh, so the the war over the last year has been more an economic war than a military war. And the outgoing U.S. representative to the uh, anti-ISIS coalition envoy, uh, James Jeffrey, he's been giving a number of interviews recently where he laid the U.S. strategy currently in Syria uh, pretty bare. I want to quote you what he says. He says, basically, first and foremost, is denial of the Assad government getting military victory. And of course, we've ratcheted up the isolation and sanctions pressure on Assad. We've held the line on no reconstruction assistance and the country's desperate for it. You see what happened to the Syrian pound. You see what's happened to the entire economy. So it's been a very effective strategy. Your comments on that? Well, it's absolutely morally uh, abominable. Uh, it, 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 it's utterly shocking. Uh, confession that the U.S. strategy has been to punish the Syrian people, uh, uh, hoping to get at uh, Assad in that way. Um, 
the policy has been effective in the sense that um, the Syrian people are, are suffering every day. There are long queues for bread, uh, long queues for gasoline. Uh, the policy of sanctions and denial of assistance for reconstruction uh, has been uh, effective. But what kind of policy is it that tries to immiserate uh, a whole uh, country? And it, 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 it's not even, uh, it, it's delusional because it's not even going to work. The experience of 10 years of this conflict is that the Syrian government is amazingly resilient. Uh, they've been on the ropes many times in this uh, conflict and pulled through largely because they have the support of great swathes of the Syrian populace. Um, and they, Assad is not going to buckle uh, under this new uh, increased uh, economic uh, pressure. Uh, that is just, it is utterly delusional to believe that this cynical, callous policy uh, could work. So it's a failure even on its own terms if the objective is to bring about re regime change in Syria. It's not going to work. In the meanwhile, it's causing uh, appalling uh, suffering. The, the, the uh, suffering in Syria today is on a par with what was witnessed in Iraq in the lead up to the Iraq war. And that situation in Iraq caused two UN coordinators who were overseeing that policy to resign because they called the US-led sanctions policy on Iraq genocidal. But we're not seeing that same kind of outcry today over the US sanctions on Syria when, you know, as James Jeffrey says openly, the, the aim is to target reconstruction. Can you talk more about the material impact of that on what that means for, you know, on the ground level to try to rebuild Syria for, you know, there are reports of long lines for to get bread, basic staples like that, people not having fuel, doctors having to smuggle in medical parts into the country just for their medical machines. Uh, that's right. The, the, the sanctions uh, architects, um, the Western governments uh, practicing sanctions, mainly the US and UK, uh, claim that there are medical exemptions, but this is a, a cynical claim. They know very well that in practice, the uh, sanctions uh, work by deterring providers. Um, that the, there are no, it's not possible to point to a text in the, in the legislation covering these sanctions, uh, uh, banning trade in humanitarian goods. Nevertheless, the effect uh, because of the chilling effect on banks in particular. Banks will not go near any dollar transaction with, with Syria. And many, many providers of medical equipment are, are deterred. Uh, even some of the uh, humanitarian organizations uh, like uh, Amnesty International, which would normally support the Western governments, are complaining uh, about this. Uh, it, it is a, a scandal. And the hypocrisy of the claims that, uh, that, that there are medical exemptions is breathtaking, Aaron, breathtaking. I want to meet you more from uh, James Jeffrey. He um, also on his way out acknowledged that uh, 
in another interview that he misled the White House and the public on the levels of U.S. troops inside Syria. He said, we were always playing shell games to not make clear to our leadership how many troops we had there. What is the aim of the U.S. troops in Syria right now? Trump was very open when he talked about stealing Syria's oil. But what is the geopolitical aim here? Because it's not just about the oil itself, but it's about what that oil means to Syria. And also, this is a, a region that produces a fair amount of wheat for Syria and food, if I understand it correctly. But that's right. The, the, the troops are there basically as a trip wire, uh, a deterrent. Uh, so that is, if the Syrian government forces uh, advanced, uh, they would trip over uh, a few uh, American soldiers and that would incur the uh, massive intervention of the U.S. Air Force. This is what it comes down to. They, they don't even need big numbers of, of troops to create a tripwire. Even so, it's interesting that the architects of this policy uh, in the, the permanent government <laughs> of the U.S., uh, found it necessary to deceive the uh, head of the executive, the president, uh, keep him in the dark uh, about the numbers. Uh, Trump seems to have uh, gotten the impression that the, the, the troops were numbered in a like couple of hundred, when in fact the figure was more like two, three, four thousand. Um, so <laughs> the, the, the deceit that has gone on on every level is, is, is jaw-dropping to me, a former ambassador and in, insider in the British system, uh, I find it absolutely in, incredible. Um, it, but the, the Jeffrey is, is correct in, in his cynical assessment that the presence of these forces uh, creates a major uh, geostrategic plus for the, the U.S., in, in the sense that it, it stymies the, uh, the Russians um, who are trying to normalize conditions in, in Syria. Uh, so if, if you take as your starting point that the whole point of the war is to prevent Russia having a victory, then yes, uh, the policy is, um, is somewhat effective. But if you, as, as most policymakers would claim, say that the aim is to end the, the conflict, um, then it's achieving the opposite. The, uh, what Jeffrey was effectively saying was that the US plan A, as he called it, is to prolong the conflict, to prevent a resolution on terms which might not favor uh, the US preferred solution of getting rid of Assad. That's plan A. He was very candid about that. Plan B was to sort of install some um, some stooge regime. He didn't give many clues about who would actually replace uh, Assad. And no wonder, because uh, Plan B is an empty box. Uh, there, there is nobody waiting. In, there's no Mandela in the wings in Syria. There's a bunch of Islamist fanatics that the U.S. supposedly is fighting. That, that's plan B. What do you think was the aim of the, uh, of the proxy war? Uh, you served 
as ambassador as UK ambassador to Syria in from 2003 to 2006. There was talk back then of an opening between Assad and the West. It it didn't happen. Why do you think the U.S. and its allies devoted so much money and so much uh, energy to this proxy war? The New York Times calls it one of the costliest covert action programs in CIA history. Uh, according to the Washington Post, the CIA had a budget of approaching $1 billion per year on the Syria proxy war. What, what do you think the aim was? Well, I'll tell you what it it's not. Uh, U.S. policy is not about installing in Syria a democratic uh, government um, uh, because there is no prospect of that while the U.S. is effectively supporting Islamist fanatics um, and while it's uh, supporting elsewhere in the Middle East uh, regimes like uh, the feudal regime of, of Saudi Arabia. No, it's not about democracy. Um, it's about helping Israel on the one hand and uh, scoring points against Russia on the other. And when it, when, when it comes down to it, that is what this whole war is really about from the U.S. standpoint. Um, Israel, obviously, because uh, Syria uh, has been a recalcitrant, um, insisting on the return of its lost territory to Israel, the, the Golan Heights, and uh, giving staunch support to the Palestinians. Uh, so Syria could never be forgiven for these uh, sins. And for 50 years, um, Russia and Syria have been quite close. But I am sure that if Syria at some point had offered to switch horses, the U.S. would be backing Assad today. I wanted to get your thoughts on the OPCW scandal. It's something I've been covering extensively. Inspectors from the OPCW who investigated an alleged chemical weapons attack in the town of Duma in April 2018. Uh, this was the rationale for U.S.-led strikes on Syria that same month. These inspectors had their evidence suppressed and they were sidelined from their investigation. And these allegations of chemical weapons attacks in Syria have been very key to the overall narrative that is used to sustain the proxy war and now justify uh, sanctions on Syria, that we have to sanction this regime that uses chemical weapons against its own people. I'm wondering if you followed this controversy about Duma and the suppression of the OPCW's own findings and their own investigators and what your thoughts are. Yeah, chemical weapons um, in Syria, have, the issue has been played much as the, the issue was played with, with Iraq. And, and the world has amnesia over uh, Iraq, the, the non-existent uh, weapons of mass destruction. Uh, the, the, the Colin Powell uh, dossier of proof presented to, to the UN. Um, it, 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 it's like Groundhog Day when you hear the claims made about Assad's uh, use of chemical weapons. In the first place, it would make no practical sense for Assad to have used chemical weapons. It could only ever have been an own goal. If, if he wanted to uh, invite uh, heavy Western uh, intervention, he would not have gone about it any other way. 
uh, you, you have to be incredibly either um, twisted uh, or delusional um, to believe uh, that, it, it, that Assad could have been so stupid as to do the one thing, use chemical weapons, uh, which would bring about or possibly bring about his obliteration. And it, it simply beggars uh, belief. What, what we've seen, I'm quite convinced, is an elaborate hoax, a series of, of hoaxes. It's very revealing that not one of the alleged instances of use of chemical weapons uh, was investigated on the ground by any uh, UN or other international investigators, with the sole exception of Duma. Uh, and why Duma? Because that was a piece of territory that the government forces managed to recover uh, immediately after the alleged uh, incident so that uh, the U.S. and its allies were unable to keep away the international investigators. That didn't stop them bombing Syria. Uh, they went ahead uh, it, it, without waiting for the international investigators to arrive on the site. And ever since, we've seen an elaborate attempt to provide a, a post hoc justification and to, to, and to provide the justification for the sanctions, the cruel uh, policy that we were discussing earlier. The, that ultimately is the purpose of the chemical weapons hoaxes, to justify uh, the, the occupation of northeast Syria and the continuing cruel economic pressure. And what do you make of the relative media silence on this issue? We've done a lot of reporting on this at the Gray Zone. The late Robert Fisk covered this issue for The Independent a little bit. He actually got on the ground in Duma shortly after the alleged attack and found evidence of the scenes being staged uh, in the hospital. But even though now, you know, since then, these inspectors... Um, have had uh, their evidence leaked. And so it's been made a bit clear to the public there that the inspectors who went to Duma reached a far different conclusion than what was put out publicly and had key evidence and data being censored and false unsupported conclusions being inserted to falsely tell the public that essentially there was a chemical attack by Syria. But yet media, for the most part, especially in the West, has been pretty much silent on this story. What do you make of that? Uh, well, besides being a former British di diplomat, I'm also a, a former uh, UN uh, official. Uh, I worked for eight years uh, with a UN refugee agency in, in the Middle East, and it doesn't surprise me in the least, <laughs> because I've seen from the inside of, of, of the UN machinery how arms get twisted by the Western powers, and particularly by uh, the U.S. Uh, you can't have a very successful career in the U.N. if you make an enemy of the U.S. by doing the honest thing sometimes. Um, and therefore, uh, an organization like the WHO is always going to be extremely easy to manipulate 
for the US and, and its allies, including my own uh, country. Um, they staff it with their, their own people very often, but occasionally uh, somebody gets through the net, an honest person with some integrity, and that is what happened on this occasion. Uh, and uh, these gentlemen uh, drafted a, a report stating that they found evidence that was consistent with staging of an incident rather than an authentic uh, incident. And ever since they have been vilified, uh, condemned, undermined, uh, and uh, the, the campaign uh, against the truth goes on and on and on. Well, speaking of that, there was a recent BBC podcast uh, series called Mayday, which interviewed you. Um, it discussed me as well, and it tried to, it devoted one episode to basically denigrating these OPCW inspectors and trying to um, justify the claim that there was a, a chemical attack in Duma. But the rest of the series was devoted to repairing the image of the White Helmets and its late founder, James LeMessurier, a former uh, UK military officer. And the White Helmets actually play a role in these chemical attack incidents because in both the case of Duma and the previous year in Kun, the White Helmets handed over data and evidence that was used in the final uh, reports to tr that aimed to uh, justify the narrative that there was a chemical attack. And in the case of Duma, there's even evidence that the White Helmets were involved in uh, staging the scene at the hospital in Duma to make it falsely appear as if something, as if a chemical attack had happened. And there's a, even a BBC producer named Riam Delati who claims to have found evidence that the hospital scene was definitely staged with White Helmets involvement, although he hasn't released it. But I'm wondering your comments on the White Helmets, who they are and their role in uh, these chemical attack allegations and the overall Syria proxy war narrative. Uh, the, the White Helmet's role is absolutely uh, crucial, uh, pivotal uh, to the Western uh, effort to uh, undermine Syria through the accusations of use of chemical weapons. I think basically what happened is that Western governments uh, realized that after the uh, Iraq uh, debacle, uh, that if they were going to use claims about WMD, chemical weapons, whatever, again, they were going to have to produce some kind of smoking gun. And this is the role of the White Helmets. They produce the phony pictures of phony incidents which constitute the smoking gun. And that is, is absolutely pivotal to the, the, the propaganda to justify the bombing and the relentless um, economic and military pressure uh, on Syria. Without that, without that so-called testimony, the, the, the video, the, 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 the staged uh, videos, uh, the, the, the testimony, um, the eyewitness reports provided by the White Helmets, uh, the story uh, would be even less credible. Uh, than it is uh, already, but uh, it's a small investment for the the, the U.S. Uh, government and other Western governments compared with the, the state. 
they've been funding uh, the White Helmet to the tune of about $50 million a, a year. That's, that's peanuts compared to what they see as the advantages of bringing Syria to its knees. And I should have uh, uh, specified that the, that the White Helmets are known around the world as a rescue group. And there's documentaries made about them. One of them even won an Oscar. And there's footage of them rescuing civilians uh, from buildings that have been bombed by Syria or Russia, which created a very powerful narrative of them as these uh, noble rescue workers. What has come out, though, from reporting inside Syria and also from the story of the White Helmets uh, founder James LeMessurier's death is a more sinister side. There's videos of them working alongside jihadists, uh, including for executions in the towns that the jihadists controlled. In the case of LeMessurier, he was implicated in financial fraud. Uh, he admitted to it in an email shortly before he died. And there's even questions about how he died. Uh, it's believed to be suicide, but he also may have just fallen off of his building. It's it's unclear. But what do you make of of who who LeMessurier actually was and what the White Helmets were actually doing on the ground in Syria? Yeah, uh, an interesting uh, character. I can't wait for the film version, actually. We, the BBC have just tweeted to this, uh, to this 15 part uh, radio series. I'm, I'm sure it's building up. Uh, to uh, a fantastic uh, film, and we can have fun um, doing the, the casting. I, I claim to play myself, please, if you're listening, the uh, filmmakers. Um, and by the way, um, I happen to know that there's already a, a Hollywood um, mogul uh, interested, and he's the guy behind the, uh, the financier of the BBC radio series. Um, maybe um, Tom Cruise will be free to play uh, Le Mesurier. Um But uh, this, this whole whodunit uh, about who, who kept or how did Le Mesurier, uh meet his, his end um, is, is a rather a, in amusing distraction, uh, I think, from the, the real uh, story. Uh, he's obviously an been an embarrassment to his handlers in the British uh, security services. Um, I mean, topping yourself is not a good career option. Um, and swindling um, large amounts of dollars uh, wasn't really a very wise course. Um, uh, so I think, I'm sure this is why the BBC series was commissioned uh, by the Missouri's uh, handlers. Uh, because they had to whitewash not only the white helmet, but also James Lemazurier. Yeah, and they also attacked uh, me and they attacked my colleague Max Blumenthal. You had a testy interview with them as well. And they, it was interesting that in a series about the white helmets, they also choose to devote a whole episode to the Duma incident. Um, and it, I actually learned from this that the White Helmets, it, it actually confirmed a few things. One is that the White Helmets handed over uh, witness testimony and evidence for the Duma incident. And also that the founder of the White Helmets claimed that he gave the coordinates of the bodies of the victims who were found in Duma. He claimed that he gave that to the OPCW and that those coordinates were given to the Syrian government. Although I've never seen any 
official confirmation anywhere that actually the location of the grave of the bodies was ever actually handed over. So to me, this this podcast gave some um, interesting new details and only raised more questions. And one of their sources was an anonymous guy who claimed to work for the OPCW uh, and who attacked the inspectors, the whistleblowers. And he also attacked the OPCW's first director general, Jose Bustani, who was spoken out in their defense. And it made me think that whoever was behind the white helmets had also probably connected this purported OPCW official to the BBC as well. I'm wondering if you if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I find it um, in a way encouraging um, that the Western governments have gone to these lengths um, with their propaganda tool, uh, the, the state um, broadcaster of the UK, the BBC. Um, uh, it's rather um, complimentary uh, that our efforts uh, should be considered uh, so damaging to the strategy of building up the, the white helmets. And as I mentioned earlier, um, they are uh, pivotal to the, the whole uh, effort. Uh, if if the, the white helmets are discredited, uh, the, the whole strategy begins to collapse. Uh, so it's uh, it's complementary um, to, to be uh, attacked uh, by these people. With Donald Trump on his way out and Joe Biden coming in, do you see any prospects of a shift in policy on Syria? Biden's Secretary of State, of course, is Tony Blinken, or it will be Tony Blinken, who was a very uh, strong proponent of actually increased U.S. intervention in Syria in the proxy war, even more than was ultimately done. What is your assessment of, of what the U.S. strategy will be under Biden? And do you think there will be any shift from the Trump strategy? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not optimistic. Um, I think things are likely to get worse uh, rather than better. Uh, what we'll probably see is simply a continuation of the status quo. The current policies will simply be extended. Uh, that is the policies as described by Ambassador Jeffrey, the, um, the, the uh, attempt to prolong the conflict, to prevent Assad gaining a military victory, uh, the continuation of economic uh, warfare uh, to uh, try to bring Assad to his knees and force him to sign a suicide note, um, which would be acceptance of, uh, of uh, elections on US uh, terms. Uh, I'm sure these policies uh, will be continued, um, but there's a question mark over whether policy might not become even more adventurous uh, in, and interventionist. Um, with a, a, a beachhead of, of a few thousand soldiers already occupying part of Syria, um, I greatly fear that Biden might be tempted to uh, increase those, those numbers, um, put some military pressure on the Syrian government forces, um, create more uh, no-fly zones already. There's effectively a, a no-fly zone over that that big triangle of territory that's um, occupied by the U.S. forces and, and their, their Kurdish allies, um, an attempt might be made to 
uh, create a no-fly zone over Idlib, which would be ironic. It would mean that the U.S. was well, that the U.S. Air Force was the air wing of Al Qaeda. Um, but we've already seen um, stuff like that in the course of the, the Syrian conflict. Um, so I'm definitely not optimistic, um, and, and I fear things could could get even worse. Trump, for all his faults, uh, did. Uh, try seriously on more than one occasion to scale down, um, end even the U.S. military presence in Syria, um, but he was thwarted by the, the permanent government. Um, yeah, it's not it's not a good outlook. Peter Ford, the former British ambassador to Syria, and now the co-chair of the British Syrian Society. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Aaron. Some interesting questions you posed there. That's what I try to do. That's what I try to do. I, I really appreciate your time, so thank you.